In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with Ian Wright Wright, and we're going to be talking about the depressing place the Cleveland Browns are in right this second. Ian, how are you after that game, mate? You know, I've had now an extra day to kind of just let it sink into the bones. Didn't get any better. Didn't get any better. Another opportunity to win a game in the National Football League. Another blown opportunity to win a game in the National Football League. Let's be totally honest. That was a game with that callback we should have won. Oh, absolutely. Anytime a football team with the talent that the Browns have go against a rookie rookie in his second career start, you should win the game. And it just, they couldn't get it going. The defense couldn't get it. Like we've said it all year, Paul, like at no point does it feel like the offense, the defense and the special teams are all on the same page, right? It's like, they're always like when the defense is going well, the offense sucks. When the offense is going well, the defense sucks. When the kicking game is on and making things, we can't score points and we can't stop them from scoring points. It's like we cannot get all levels of this football team to just play together. Let's talk about the offense. Uh, let's go straight into it. What are you going to give out of 10? I mean, with the stats, you look in the ball movement. I mean, we're talking five, four. I mean, they scored 15 points against what we thought would be a good Patriots defense, but we'll lay out. We'll lay it out. Jacoby Brissett, worst game of his season for sure. 21 of 45 did throw for 266 yards, but that is only six yards attempt. One touchdown, two interceptions, Nick Chubb, 4.7 yards per carry, 12 carries, 56 yards in the leading receiver, Donovan Peoples Jones, Four catches, 74 yards. David Joku, three for 58 as well. So he continues to, you know, put up stats from that tight end position, which is something we haven't seen. Rounding out the receivers, Amari Cooper, 12 targets, only four catches for 44 yards. So you clearly saw what Belichick was trying to do with him. Paul, I, I just, offensively, we had the ball for 24 minutes. We only managed 16 first downs and 328 total yards. What's that, a four or five max? Yeah, it's. I think it's less, mate. I think it's a four. Um, first question that ev- on everyone's lips is, why didn't they run Chubb more? Well, if you want a decent breakdown, luckily the benefit of doing this the day after is, you know, Brian Baldinger showed you. He showed how the Patriots switched from five-man fronts to four-man fronts to three-man fronts. You know, they moved different linebackers. They had safeties in different roles. They just kept rolling different things at the Browns. I think this is what Browns fans dial, you know, this is what they want to see from Joe Woods is this unique style of defense, right, that causes confusion. But in the same sense, the Patriots' offense had an upper hand so it's, again, as we say, it's easy to go on the offense with your defense when your offense is performing. And another case of that, the Browns couldn't get the run going and still averaging 4.7 yards a carry is still not bad. I mean, 56 yards and 12 carries. 
it wasn't your 140 yards for Nick Chubb type of game. But at the end of the day, when you're down and you're chasing points, you can't run the ball, especially in the second half. Yeah. Um, it was just depressing. I think the only good things were, yeah, Donovan People Jones and, and Juku that I called before the game had, had good games. Uh, what about the O line? How do you think they did it? Uh, well, one of the disadvantages was, I shouldn't say disadvantage, one of the downsides was that um, Wyatt Teller left after, I believe, only about 15 snaps uh, into the second quarter with a calf injury. So they did, I will say though, they did have um, our boy Yeldy Froholt step in there and actually from a PFF standpoint, graded out pretty well. I think he was a, our fifth highest graded player on the offense right up there. You know, with, I think he was a second highest rated lineman behind Joel Batonio. So it's odd when you say that the offensive line just has an ability. It's the one unit that on this Browns team where it just seems to always be firing at all cylinders. And I think we've said it, Paul, when we were kind of recapping pre-show about the different games, it's the one unit that keeps the Browns in the games because of their ability to pass protect Jacoby Brissett and to give Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb those running lanes, you know, against sometimes when defenses are deficient. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's just there's not a lot of depth on the offense. And we saw that, you know, Anthony Schwartz continues to just drop ball after ball after ball. I don't know how much longer you really can just keep throwing to the guy. Harrison Bryant, I, I don't he's he seems to be taking a regression this year. We see a little bit of David Bell sprinkled here and there, but you know, Kareem Hunt's definitely lost a step. I think we know that. He doesn't look quite like the same guy. Um, still runs hard, just doesn't seem to kind of have that breakaway speed. But you know, offensively, it just goes to show you Jacoby Brissett's a limited quarterback. He is. He he's you know, Jack Duffin and I were on the uh the Dogland podcast with our good friends Jackson McCurry and uh, Anthony Jokey. Jokey wasn't on, so he brought us two schlubs in. And we had said it, you know, there's just, it's a limiting factor. And when you have a C game out of your quarterback, these are the results you're going to get. It's, it, it's, it was the, the depressing to watch, especially on third downs. Very frustrating. Where does the offense go from here? Well, luckily you're not going to play a Bill Belichick defense every single week. And I get it. The Patriots don't have all these marquee names, but at the end of the day, Jacoby Brissett, the limited skill set. I mean, Bernie talked a little bit about it as well and just how the Patriots will always have an answer. You know, we talked about this a little bit in uh, on the Dogland. is whenever you see a team beat the Patriots, when you look at that score line, it's very rare that you see the marquee names beating you. And, you know, in our pregame, Jack and I talked about it with you. I thought Donovan Peoples-Jones had the opportunity to step up because we knew Belichick was going to take away Cooper and we knew he was going to kind of roll some focus towards Najoku. So at that point there, they make you beat them with guys that normally don't step up. So your point on third down, it's four. I think they were four of 15 on third down. I mean, that's just above a 25% uh, conversion rate. Belichick just does the ability to make you uncomfortable. Now, in saying that, we're going to go next week and the offense is going up against the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens, they got beat by the Giants. I'm not sure anyone had Daniel Jones beating Lamar Jackson, just the way I'm sure no one had the combination of Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky beating Tom Brady, but it is the NFL. And Jack has a little optimism in terms of that, where the Browns just need a couple because our next two games are division games. 
So if you go out and you beat the Ravens and you beat the Bengals, you're right back in it, Paul. So where does the offense go from here? It's got to go to Baltimore and it's got to be able to establish itself against the Baltimore defense that isn't that good. I mean, Daniel Jones put up, you know, over 20 points against his defense, guys. I'm sorry if I'm not going to bang the drums and say this is like an old Baltimore Ravens defense. Well, um, let's move on to the defense. I think a four is a fair number for you. you think, yeah, you think a four. I mean, yeah. It, it, tell the people, Paul, did you get to watch the game? Or what was your what was your situation watching the game? Yeah, I was in Cyprus. There's no NFL bars there. And then I don't even think they've got American football out there. But, um, yeah, I just watched it in a Cyprian restaurant, eating my meze on my phone. I'm watching too many games on my phone this year. That's got to change. So, uh, well, are you going to be back in London for the next couple or? Yeah. Um, it's a six o'clock game next week, right? That's a standard one o'clock Eastern kickoff. Yep. So, yeah, perfect. Yeah. So I just want to get into a nice seat, sit there, maybe watch it at home and just, uh, actually take it all in on a big screen. So, well, I don't know if you want to take this defense in on a full screen, so it may be easier and more palatable to watch this defense when it's on a smaller screen because, once again, I mean, I know 38 points is a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, we're talking about a Patriots team that put up 28 of those points in the second half. You know, it's 10-6 going into half. The Patriots come out, double punch, two touchdowns in the third quarter. Browns just can't get back on their feet, and then the game just completely goes out of hand. Boom, 38 15 is your final, but I will say this. The defense did do some things better. So I like to sometimes point fingers at guys that make errors. I will come back and say when guys do better. Now, do the Patriots have a world beater offensive line? No, but you can tell that there was an extreme focus this week on Tommy Togiai, Jordan Elliott, not so much Perry and Winfrey. These guys understanding run fits better. Not going to go into it again. If you really want to know all about that, go listen to our last podcast. I'll break down the run fits for you there. But Togi, I, he least didn't look inept. Jordan Elliott at times looked, but for the most part, we need to get better play out of our defensive tackles. Miles Garrett's out there playing with what seems like one arm and is still able to impact the game not quite like we want him. We can tell he's a half step short, um, but he did end up getting a couple sacks, which was nice from his standpoint, broke the season. Uh, the Browns all time sack leader is now Mr. Miles Garrett. So unfortunately doing it at a loss, will lose a little bit of the luster, but I'm sure miles will be happy to know that he is now numero uno in terms of the stat. Uh, st- I keep saying stat the sacks of all time for the Browns. He looked injured at the end of the game. Any reports of that at all? They're they're still keeping that pretty close to the vest in terms of, you know, I think they asked Stefanski about it now, and they said that he's going to go through some treatment and just kind of take a peek and see what happens. It honestly looked like he just kind of wrenched that shoulder once he got a hold of Zappy for the sack. So who knows? It's just one of those things where, I mean, I, th- I still think, if I'm not mistaken, he graded out higher on PFF. I think it's saw someone tweeted earlier. He was the number one rated defender all of all the NFL as against the uh, against the Patriots. So Miles is still able to do things with a crazy amount of uh, with injuries. So the problem the is issue, there's no the issue else. with PFF issue with PFF. 
it was a few players high, then it went off a cliff with our defense. Is that fair? Oh, uh, if I'm not, yeah, using the Duffin scale, I think we had five guys uh, above with one of them being just a role player, Jordan Kunazic. Um, now, we've been critical of some players on this podcast, so rightfully so. Paul, you set the rules. We need to sometimes point out when guys do better. And I thought the Browns, they did a little bit different of a defensive scheme this time. You saw a lot more man coverage. And in this case, John Johnson was playing cover one. You saw him back there playing center field, John Johnson on a couple of the touchdowns. I know he slid into the DMS of some of the people on Twitter and was unhappy with his criticisms, which is a whole nother thing for another day. But other than that, I thought he played pretty well. Um, keeping the lid on top of the defense. You know, I know that they had the long uh, play to John U. Smith up the seam, but th that wasn't really on John Johnson. I know sometimes people want to point out loafing and stuff. That's not how the NFL works. It's not how the NFL works. Uh, other than that, Martin Emerson continues to impress. He's been probably the best rookie uh, of the class. Obviously we didn't have that many picks, but Emerson has continued to show that he belongs in the NFL. And I admitted it on the dogland. I'll say it here. Now I, I did not see this level of production and these number of snaps coming from Martin Emerson and he's doing it. So hat tip to you, buddy. Uh, and then Sione Taki Taki was the only other defender that graded out worth a shit. All the rest of them were pretty much poo poo sandwiches, even though Tommy Togi, I basically doubled his score from last week from a 30 to a 60. So I guess that's something to build on, right? Yeah. This has been talked a lot on Twitter. It's been, this is, this has been talked a lot about on Twitter. You know, is our roster actually talented or are we just overhyping? And the cornerback room is we look at a paper and think we've got some great players. Mm -hmm. Greg Newsom, Ward, McGreedy, Emerson now. Paul, wait, think about how much capital. Denzel, first pick, first round pick. Greg Newsom, first round pick. Grant Nelbert, second round pick. John Johnson, free agent signing. Martin Emerson, third round pick. AJ Green, I think we gave the most UDA, uh, UDFA Paul Brown money to. Paul, you clearly see that you're right. They're investing money into this, into this uh, defense, especially in the secondary. But let's just make this simple, and I'll let you pick because your name's on the, on the top line. I either want you to give me a letter grade or a number. I'm going to give you a position group. What number through six games or letter would you give our defensive line? D line would be. So you have Miles, uh, Clowney, and yeah. the rest of the guys. It's a massive difference between outside and inside. Um, but yeah, I'd give it a uh, four out of five. Okay. So four out, oh, four out of five or out of 10? Sorry. Um, okay, let's go. Uh, this wasn't part of our prep, it, so we got to uh, Paul. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'd give it a four out of ten. Okay. Ten being great. Yep, four out of ten. What would you give our linebackers? Five out of ten. What would you give our secondary? Four out of ten. What would you give our special teams? Two out of ten. What would you give our offensive line? Eight out of ten. Running backs? Eight out of ten. Wide receivers? Six out of ten. Tight ends? Six out of ten. Unfair to Andrew Cooper. Nobody else behind him is doing anything. So I don't... Yeah. Quarterback? 
six out of ten. So you have two position groups above a seven, so to say, we'll call it a passing grade. And we wonder why our team is two and four. But to answer your question about talent, you gave a four, a five, and a two to the defense. So we got all that draft capital invested. We're talking two out of 10 in that secondary. And listen, we talked about it. I get it. Everybody wants Joe Woods' head on the Ned Stark stake. I get it. Paul, my only thing is, is you're not going to bring in a new defensive corner. It's going to change the scheme in week six. It's not going to happen. You're going to still run the same scheme. So if you don't like the scheme, that's one thing, but you don't change that in the middle of the season. So if you go ahead and fire him and bring in, say, Mike Zimmer or somebody, they're not going to do it midseason. But say you bring in an interim guy and then Zimmer comes in. Well, Zimmer runs the same defense, right? They're drafting players for the defense they want to run. They went and got Joe Woods because he runs the defense they want to run. Joe Woods had no problem running defense in Denver. No problem with defense coverage and all that stuff in San Francisco. So we have all this talent. And I said this in the other one. If you're the type of player that needs to needs another man to lose his job for you to play better, what kind of player are you? Like, I don't need my boss to be fired for it to be the wake-up call that I need to work. That's coward. A lot of people, a lot of people messaging me saying, have the Browns lost dressing room, you know? People, players not caring. Do you think that's fair? You've come out and said that you feel that the Browns team has done things different this week and you're on a positive side where a lot of people are texting me just saying, yeah, Browns players don't care. Well, at the end of the day, and you know this, Paul, when you win, everything's better. When you lose, the sky is falling. And at no, I, and listen, this isn't a shot at a lot of people out there. Cause when you watch a football game, sometimes it's very difficult to understand what's going on. But if you really want, go look at Jake Trotter. He put out two of the next gen stats. And it's very easy to see what the Browns defense is doing. They're in basic man coverage. And in the touchdown to Hunter Henry, he comes in motion. Delpit follows him across motion. He releases. Delpit, Delpit, Delpit is looking into the backfield. His eyes get caught. He loses his footing. Touchdown. On the big play to Johnny Smith, he comes out. We're in man coverage again. He runs right past JOK, who's supposed to carry him deep. Doesn't. Bam, 53 yards. So it doesn't matter if 10 guys do it right and one does his job wrong. That's what fans see, you know, and then they see John Johnson sending DMs to people saying, you know, keep my name out of your mouth. And it's like, listen, that's same old Cleveland shit, right? That's what the players used to do. Who was the one safety that like said he was going to fight some Dustin Fox. He said he was going to go fight him and they whitehead. They're like, they got to kick him off the team, right? It's the same old shit with the Browns. So did they quit? That was one of the things that I know Jake Burns was talking about. I don't think these guys quit. I just think that they're businessmen. They're about a brand, right? You know, you see it all the time with professional athletes. Paul, they, they're all about themselves, right? And self-promotion and videos and all this stuff. And you do fantastic work for these guys. So continue, guys, please, please keep doing it. And hire Baked Bean Media. But the whole idea that like these guys are going to go out there and run through each other's walls and run through walls for each other down 31 to 15, that it's not going to happen. This isn't 1988 anymore. So these guys will come back next week, saved injury from this one, and they're going to go at it again. You know, I said in the pre-show, I said, listen, you're a team, you know, in soccer, 2-0 in the 60th minute, and you realize you're not going to score. All of a sudden, you take your foot off the gas. 
and it's five nothing at the end of the 94th. That's what happens, you know, in the NFL and in professional sports, when you back off, they go for the jugular. You fumble a punt, boom, touchdown. Jacoby Brissett was so rattled, the ball fell out of his hand, boom, touchdown, 14 points, bang, bang. Now it's anyway. an embarrassing loss. So yeah, def- what, what, defensively, what, here's what we had. I mean, we had two sacks from Miles Garrett. Any other notable defensive plays that you can think of off the top of your head? Because I know for sure we didn't pick off Bailey Zappe. No, nothing. We had the one strip nothing. sack. With the one strip sack. I think that was our only turnover, correct? Yeah. So what are you going to give him? Three? Two? Two. 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 Your name's Four offense, two defense. Hey, special you want to talk about something a little optimistic here? We only had two special teams things, one of them being a fumbled snap that was like minus 100. We had one delay of game that really was irrelevant, but. Our guy, Cade York, he clearly listens to the podcast after you raise all that money for charity for him. Three of three on his field goals. He looked good hitting them. Borquez, three punts, uh, average of 44.3 inside the 20, hit one. Uh, Chester Rogers on kickoffs did have five for 106 yards. Unfortunately, on the punt, did have the fumble. Specials wasn't really special given the fumble. However, they weren't crazy in terms of... uh, we weren't crazy in terms of the uh, the return game. So, I don't know, Paul. What do you see? Look, I think the biggest problem is when you see the Patriots, how their special team works versus our special team, it's very frustrating. I always feel that our special team is... Not special? A disadvantage. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a disadvantage. And it really does show. And, um, yeah, I've got no issues if... End of the season, we recycle special teams coach and potentially defensive coach. And, and listen, special teams is one of those things where it's different than a defense, right? You can easily put in a new coordinator that says, hey, we're going to run punt this way. We're going to do this. It does not take long to make changes to your special teams unit, which is a little bit odd. You know, I don't want to go too far down the road with the special teams, but I do find it a little odd that Prefer hasn't been able to come up with something in the specials. I wonder if there's just this analytical conservative type of approach they take really just keeps him on a leash. Cause sometimes you'll see special teams coordinators. They'll do something a little outside the box, right? A crazy fake, or, you know, they'll run an all out blitz on a punt block. They'll do something. Prefer just seems like, well, not listen. I don't know if it's him. I'm just saying it's his unit. So I got to put it on him. It just seems like everything is very like melancholy, vanilla, not a lot of flair. So I don't know. I would actually, we'll have to set this up. We uh, maybe in the off season, maybe we'll get the hammer on. I just want to talk to him a little bit about prefer. I really just want to talk. To him. Oh no, no, no! Off the record, off the record, we can't. We can't. Oh yeah, off the record. I, I obviously would never tip it off, but I'm curious from a punting thing because I don't think he'd get in trouble. Did they have him punt to distances? I'm curious how much analytics plays into the specials. I'm not asking him to bag the guy. No, I would never do that. But I'm curious Did they say, like, as a punter, we really have the capability, right? As a golfer, somebody says, hey, I want you to hit it 270 yards off the tee. I don't want you to hit it 320, right? I need you to hit three wood. I wonder if the, the analytics plays into this. And that's why it's so vanilla looking. That's the answer I want. Well, Speaking to his family, I won't mention Scottish Hammer. They're, they're saying quite openly over a pint, look at the way the Scottish Hammer plays now with freedom, 
versus the way he played at the Browns. Yeah. I, uh, I like hearing that. I do. Cause I've, I saw what the guy could do with that foot of his. And it's good to see that he's finally unleashing a couple. You know, we'll give a little podcast update on the Scottish hammer. Um, his stats from this week and their victory. I think it might be one of the few times he actually beat the Ravens. Um, Four punts, longest 60 inside of 22 with a 46.2 average. Pretty, damn, pretty, pretty, pretty good. Nice work, Jamie. Nice work. So overall, so what, special, what teams, we doing? special teams, yeah, special yeah. teams. There's two things I want to discuss. The uh, onside kick. Yep. Uh, obviously, I was watching it on my phone, but it, it looked like uh, Green went out of out. That's why we didn't get it. Is that correct? It was called on the field. Yeah, so the rule is that a player in a recovering position cannot make contact with the ball while a part of their body is on the sideline. So if you remember a couple of years ago, there was a kickoff that was near the sidelines. If a returner steps out of bounds and then reaches back in and touches the ball, it then is a kickoff out of bounds. The ball moves to the 40. So the ball was loose. Ronnie Harrison had, I think on his third time was when he got possession of the ball. AJ Green, I think, was trying to be a protector. I think. I don't really know because I'm not exactly sure what Is the it? hell he was doing. But he came sliding in. It was pretty clear that the hand touched the ball. Not a recovery. Ian, this sounds crazy. Why have you got a defensive player there trying to catch a ball? Why is it not like a naturally minded offense person there? Well, you only- That's a... That's a British person asking who doesn't really understand the sport. Well, you got to think about it. You're not going to have defensive or offensive linemen, right? So you can just whack those guys because they're not going to be fast enough to get down there, right? So you have Ronnie Harrison, you have DBs, you have safeties, you have wide receivers, sometimes running backs and tight ends. That's who's always going to be on your hands team. And we knew that the Browns were going to be kicking the onside kick. So I have no problem with AJ Green being on the recovery team. That's, I mean, that's pretty standard to have your lighter, faster guys because realistically, Paul, if I'm kicking a ball, the ball is going to travel faster than I am from a dead start. So I need guys that can run sprints four four, like get off the line and get down there on recovery. Sometimes you'll see linebackers and the bigger guys because they need some size. They don't want to get blown off the ball. So it really wasn't a question of why AJ Green was on there because I mean, Ronnie Harrison technically recovered it and he's a safety. So it's more of, when you see the ball loose and you see your guy with it, having that situational awareness to, you know what? He can touch Ronnie Harrison. He can still act as a protector. He can lay on him. He can defend him. He can do everything, but touch the bloody ball. That's the only thing he cannot do. And he did it. Is that coaching? I, it's got to be now I to play devil's advocate would say there's no way as a special teams coach before that onside recovery kick, I can go through every single rule. You know, that's one of those things where you ask people why Belichick is such a special teams guy is because he rehearses so many of these situations. You don't see that from his guys and they always seem to have advantages. That's one of those things in the off season. You're like, guys, remember this rule, remember this rule, remember this rule. And then you just hope that when the guy's in the situation, he remembers the rule because if he just slid, 
The only thing he didn't shouldn't have done is move that right hand right in there to the ball. Boom. As soon as he did, that was over. He could have slid right up by, gave a thumbs up. These are the fine margins that we're not doing. So um... Yeah, it is. But you know what, Paul? As we figured it out in all sports, whether it's fat man football, whether it's NFL football, one or two plays generally decide the outcome. And it just consistently, like you graded out this team, consistently we're not making the plays when they count and we're not getting game-changing performance. You know, we're very good at running the ball. We're very good at an offensive line that's blocking, that gives our quarterback a chance of success. And listen, I think the world knows I'm not a huge Deshaun Watson fan. However, Deshaun Watson has an ability to make impact plays. Now, my issue is consistently, can he do it? But regardless, he can still make plays that Jacoby Brissett cannot. So the question now becomes is, can he make enough of those plays? And will it be too late? Because, you know, I worried about getting into this 11-game stretch. We're talking three and eights and four and sevens, and we're quickly approaching that. And if he takes over a team that's four and seven after not playing in two years, we're not going to get Aaron Rodgers, right? You know, and he lost to the Jets, but regardless, um, we're not going to get elite Josh Allen performance from him from day one. Is the season too far gone at four and seven or three and eight? In a 17-game season, you could finish nine and eight. You could finish 10 and seven, possibly if they ran the table afterwards. But at this point, I don't. would you have any confidence in this defense? Look, I think in take each game that comes at the moment, I'm, you know, we're two and four at the moment. Yeah, let's just uh, let's just take each game as it comes. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, sorry, mate. Um, he looked. I know he played one uh, a few minutes in preseason, but yeah, he's going to be rusty and uh, he needs some time to warm up. So I reckon he needs two or three games to warm up anyway. So I always think this season's a write-off. To be fair, now. I think you're right. And I will avoid, you know, you're talking about him being rusty. I will eliminate not making any jokes regarding oil. I will refrain from that. You can if you want, because we will be playing them on the uh, first, on the, on the 11th game. Oh, the um, the Texans. Oh, there's the lesson. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You went the other oil. I went, uh, (laughs) you went, you went cosmetic oil. I went commercial oil, but anyway, um, well, maybe, maybe it was commercial oil. Um, but it was crude. To, it was crude oil. It was crude oil. We can give you that. Um, anyway, uh, special teams. What are you going to give it as a number? York made his kicks. I was. They were trending in the in the grading good direction until Chester Rogers doinked it. So I'm going to go with a four. I think I'm going with a four as well. I think that's fair. I, I'm. I'm in no way in positive numbers. Um, uh, so the more four, I watch, four, two, four. oh, we're playing a I soccer formation to, here. Four, two, four. Yeah, the more I listen to Scottish Hammer, the more I see if our special teams coach, I just get more and more depressed. I never feel great with our special teams coming on the field. It's listen. At the end of the day, players make plays. And I'm just going to tell you, I've been on teams myself where the coaching sometimes isn't the way we wanted it. However, you sometimes win in spite. We'll call it, I know you probably haven't seen the movie, but there's one here, Varsity Blues. You know, sometimes you have a Bud Kilmer and you got to go out in the second half and you got to play. 
And at the end of the day, how many times do we see where a coach has a really winning record with a certain group of guys? And then once one of those guys goes away, the coaching kind of goes away, right? It's like, wait, he had this team at 11 and five. And then all of a sudden, not so good. Sometimes players make up for bad coaches or bad coaching decisions. And I really like Kevin Stefanski. I really do. I think he is a very good coach. The only thing I would tell you is in the NFL, it is less about coaching the X's and O's from a head coach's level than it is managing the egos, right? So when you're talking about linebackers coaches or DB coaches, now you're starting to talk about tech, you know, some technical stuff, some, some coaching X and O's type of stuff. Now I'm not saying that Stefanski can't walk in with the quarterbacks and teach X and O's. I'm just saying overall, his main job responsibility is the management of a football team. And I think he does a good job with that. I think that he, he generally has his finger on the pulse of a game, how to keep it close, what plays, he does maybe an stupid thing here once in there, but that's going to happen. Like we're all human. But in terms of getting these guys technically ready, and we're going to find out, Paul, because Andrew Barry has a lot of draft capital on this team and not a lot of these draft picks are turning into what we thought they would be. So the question then becomes, are the players that Barry drafted not as good as we thought? Or do Barry and company think that these guys have the talent and they're just not being coached right? Because I'll pick one guy out. Grant Delpit was a second round pick out of a very big program in LSU. He had a lot of accolades. He wore the very coveted number seven jersey in that LSU defense. And he's struggling. Uh, he is struggling. Check my Twitter if you need to know why. It's just the game is moving too fast for him. And he's not able to understand in the moment what his role is and what happens if he fails because i'm just going to tell you right now i've had hours and hours and hours of conversation with bernie kozar about how you attack teams and bill belichick looked at that browns defense and circled and said that's the guy we're going after he ran henry in motion and if you look zappy's first read was there so he had ingrained in his team, these are the guys we're going to go after. And he did. And he did. And I'm not saying that the talent's not there. I think Grant Delpit is an extremely talented football player. I think he has an ability to make plays. But at this point, he is an extreme liability on the field. Because when he makes a mistake, big plays happen. And it's they are game-changing plays. So this Jeff Howard... Does Joe Woods, does Kevin Stefanski, does Andrew Barry, do all these guys need to look in the mirror and say, what are we doing better? Yes. And Stefanski will never give you meat. He's never going to leave any meat on the bone in those press conferences. He is going to eat all the accountability he can. He's not going to throw players under the bus. I have a lot of respect for that. But at the end of the day, you got to maybe send a message and say, hey, man, we're going to sit you for a quarter, half. We got We. I mean, can it be worse, Paul? I mean, we're giving up huge play touchdowns where there's nobody around in basic man coverage. Here we go. I will put my last question to you. We've gone for a 4-2-4 formation. Do you think Kevin Stavansky's getting it right on four downs? Um, I think I, I agreed with the call to go for fourth down early in the game and not kick the field goal. 
in this league, field goals are consolation prizes. They're participation ribbons like, hey, nice job. You got down in here. And listen, if it's at the 34-yard line and it's fourth and eight, kick the field goal. Like, right. But if it's, we talk about, you gave an eight to the offensive line. You gave an eight to Nick Chubb, right? You know, we talk about this, this offense. Well, you got to trust that offense sometimes and go out and get me a, get me a yard, get me two yards. I mean, really anything within three yards should be, should be a high percentage chance of this offense getting it. And I think we went for it five times against Patriots. I think we got three of them. Uh, The one that we got stuffed was on the quarterback sneak, which is exactly what they did against the lions. So in their week before you watch, they basically take four guys, they put them over the three guys we have, and then it's just boom city. So I think that's one of the first times that Jacoby Brissett was not able to pick that up. And the spot was terrible, but he didn't get it. I mean, he, they were back a yard, but he missed it by six inches. So it didn't really make any sense to challenge it. I'm glad they didn't, but I don't mind going for it. I think at the end of the day, sometimes it's about execution. And I think the players have faith in the, their abilities to get it, especially since I know that the heartbeat of those are the offensive line. And I wouldn't be shocked if our percentages maybe just go up a little bit higher with Deshaun Watson only because he has a couple abilities that Brissett doesn't. He's not a battering ram up the middle, but you can run a lot more plays. Mis- we'll call it misdirection plays. And I don't mean to be like getting all fancy, but like maybe I fake a handoff and plow him to the right or I hand the ball off. Like you can be a little more creative is what I'm going to say. I mean, here we are, Paul. I mean, overall, how do you feel about this team? Yeah, look, we've definitely got a talented team. We've got good coaches. It's not working out. It's frustrating as a fan. Um, like I said earlier in the podcast, we should have beaten that Patriots team. Instead, we got humiliated with the scoreline. Um, it's just tough, tough as a fan at the moment. And yeah, hopefully we can just turn it around. Um, before we were saying we were in it, in it, but the last game we weren't in it. So. Um, yeah, I think it's actually a uh, going in the wrong direction last game. I agree. I think when you play a Bill Belichick team like that, they know how to go for the jugular. And they did it. And the Browns basically just said, here's the ball. Go ahead. They just basically handed them the murder weapon and said, hey, go ahead and just finish this off. The only thing I will say is it's amazing how winning breeds confidence as well. And if you can get a play like a Miles Garrett strip sack, an interception, a pick six. I mean, Paul, we remember that game last year where Denzel picked off Joe Burrow 90 odd plus yards and took it to the house. And the Browns offense was firing. Boom. Donovan Peoples Jones deep and boom, boom, boom. When you have those type of momentum plays, right. And you get that other team on the heels. It's like a good boxing match. And you go on the offense, man, you land that good jab, man. You just get fired up. Boom, boom, boom. You just come in and you're just, you get the momentum on your side. There likely will be a game where the Browns kind of just get out of the gate fast. And we're like, where the hell has this team been? But they need to do it. They need to come out quick. They need to land some punches early. They need to get these other teams on their heels because when other teams get the Browns on the heels, we just saw what happened. So we need to take the flip. Stefanski needs to watch what the Patriots did to him. And then he needs to institute that when he plays other coaches, because I'll tell you, you really want to quickly change the feeling, the aura about this team. 
You go out and put a thump on the Ravens, beat them, say 31-10, 31-15, whatever it is. You go out and thump them like the Patriots thumped you. People are going to be like, it's turning around. It's turning around. Here we go. Then you go out and the Bengals have been like our little brother. You give them a nice little side of ass whooping. Boom. 2-0 in the division or two more wins in the division. You're now 3-0 in the division. Now you're back. You're back to 500. 4-4 four four going into the bye week. All right. Here comes that momentum, baby. Here it goes. You know, the train's leaving the station. And that's what you need. Ian, you're sounding very positive. That's normally me. But I think we have to just rein it in and think we're not playing as well as we should be. Oh, we're, and we're I, horrible. I, I expect a negative season, to be honest. Yeah. I, I think we're playing horribly. I think we just, we lack fire. We lack all the things that I'm yearning for. You know, I, I said in the Dogland podcast, we are a team with so much bark and no bite. We're soft. You know, I, I jokingly say we're soft as baby shit. We get pushed around. We get bullied. We get punked on the regular. And that's what gets Browns fans the most fired up. These are just some very passionate fans. And when you get punked as a fan, that's when you want heads to roll. When they look at that defense and they see them soft, yeah. well, it- they want Joe Woods' head to roll. I think um, Ravens will be a real indicator how we are in the division. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, like I said, the Hammer beat the Ravens. The Browns could beat the Ravens. And if we do it, it'll be very exciting. A win will feel good right now. It's been a while. Haven't won a game since Thursday night. Three straight. L column. And the schedule don't get easier. No. Uh, I was going to say, just for all the people out there, normally we record these at like the middle of the day, my time. It's like two to four window. Paul, what time is it in London right now? 3.30, I think. That's a.m., everyone. 3.30. You talk about dedication. The man whose name's on the top of this podcast line, 3.30 a.m. He's recording with my dumb ass. Guardians game was canceled tonight, postponed until tomorrow at four o'clock. Big bummer. Stayed up for it. It's fine. Getting to watch a little bit of shin kicking between the Chargers and the Broncos, uh, nine thirty our time. So that's where we're at. Dedication out there for you, fine Browns folk. Because let's be honest, Paul, I think this the some of the Browns Twitter is what keeps it going. I think that's what kind of keeps the yeah. juices flowing, right? Yeah. One thing I want to say is, um, uh, yeah, hopefully next season I'm going to be in the house more, so I can do more live streams after the games that type of stuff, uh, a bit more energy into it. Uh, but it's just been a really tough start of the season. We've been traveling loads. So uh, yeah. you got to work. Go. You got to pay the bills, right? We understand. But at some point we do have to do one of those spaces things. Where we can get everyone in and chat it up a little bit. That's coming. That's coming. Everyone. Is there any other Browns news in? Um, I heard we hired some analysts, new analysts. Is that going to change anything? <laughs> it, it definitely got the, uh, the fire, the fan base fired up. There's no doubt about that. Now, do we know what these guys are doing? No, they could just be data collectors. But yeah, the Browns definitely hired a couple new analysts uh, to bring into the analytics department. So it was uh, it was really today just kind of a a reflection. You know, Jack Conklin talked about him when he started two and four with the the Titans. Um, Chubb was letting people know, hey man, like no one had a great game. You know, it was a lot of talking today. 
leaving plays on the field, I think, was kind of the theme. So that's really it. Uh, uh, they did do a contract thing for the Duffin, the Duffin lovers out there. Uh, the Browns and linebacker Deion Jones agreed to eliminate the 2023 season from his contract. So that's it. Well, let's uh, let's catch up and talk about the Ravens. Let's get a bit excited, and then we've obviously got the Bengals, and then a bye week. Is that right? That's correct. You nailed it. All right, Ian. Great speaking to you. You as and, well. Uh, Glad to hear you are home safe from the land of country people have never heard of. Cyprus. You never heard of Cyprus? I've heard of it. I just wouldn't have been able to point it out a map. That's one on where in the world is Carmen San Diego. I would have got wrong. If you didn't, Honestly, mate, you don't know where Cyprus is. I, I would have known the area if you gave me a big circle to draw. Like, I know the continent. I just wouldn't have been able to tell you which country it is. Okay. Is it landlocked or in the sea? Uh, there's definitely a sea by it because you said it's by Turkey. Yeah, so basically it's an island in the Mediterranean. Oh, well, see, that's easy. It's um, it's, in a, it's one of the most easterly European uh, destinations. It's more eastern Greece. It's out. It's, it's like kind of, it's like not by far from Lebanon, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. See, I, like I said, I could have guessed an area. Like I'm like, all right, I probably go like to somewhere in the east of the Mediterranean, but like over there by like the Black Sea and sometimes into the Balkans. Not that's not going to be my forte. So great catching up and uh, let's talk Ravens let's talk Ravens get some sleep my friend glad to have you back on British soil and most importantly go Browns go Browns <laughs>